Amen. If you'll turn in your copy of God's Word to Hebrews chapter 11, uh, we're going to continue this morning to walk through the book of Hebrews. If you are uh, tuning in to our live stream today and uh, don't normally uh, come here to Bloomfield Baptist Church or maybe to any church uh, here at Bloomfield, we walk through books of the Bible together and we've been walking through the book of Hebrews for some time and uh, today we are going to continue by walking through Hebrews 11 verses 23 through 28. Now uh, this is obviously uh, very unusual circumstances today. Uh, I am standing here uh, in a sanctuary preaching to three people and so I've let Madison and Matt and Nick know that if they feel like I'm staring at them today that's because I am staring at them today. Uh, it's different. This is not as things should be. It's a, it's a good thing that we have the technology, that we have uh, the ability to do what we're doing today and for churches all over the world to do what they are doing today. Uh, but there is something to be grieved and there is something that's being lost. Uh, I've seen many people on social media in recent days uh, posting how uh, the church is not a building. And that's exactly right. The church is not a building. Uh, but the church is a gathering. The church is a coming together of the people of God. And we are in a unique season uh, when we can't do that. And we should grieve in this season many things. We, we should grieve what's going on in the world. We should grieve the effects of this virus. And as believers, we should grieve that we can't come together. And so as your pastor here at Bloomfield Baptist Church, it is my prayer uh, that this will not last long and, and that God would, in his providence and his goodness, give us the opportunity uh, to gather again as a people soon. Uh, but until then, we'll do our best uh, to do things like we're doing today, uh, to broadcast uh, our Sunday service, uh, to, to come into your homes, you might say, uh, and to share the word of God with you. And so today we're going to pick back up in Hebrews 11, verses 23 through 28. As we've been walking through Hebrews 11, we've been seeing how chronologically through God's word, uh, God has called people to live by faith. Uh, to walk by faith, and we've seen examples of that and what it truly means to have a faith that is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. I've talked about how we are called to have a biblical faith and not a blind faith. The world talks about faith as a blind faith, as a faith without evidence, without assurance, and yet Scripture points us towards a very different kind of faith, towards a biblical faith, a faith with assurance. And the writer of Hebrews here in chapter 11 has given us example after example after example of what this looks like in the lives of people. And so we've seen in the life of Abel and Enoch, of Noah and Abraham and Sarah, of Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and in today's text of Moses, examples of faith. And we know as we look to each of these lives, these were not perfect people. We know that they had many places where they struggled and they stumbled, and yet what we see is that their faith was in a perfect God. And so that should comfort us today as we struggle, as we stumble, of what it means to have faith in a perfect God and in a perfect Christ. And so we're going to look at Hebrews 11, verses 23 through 28, and so let me read God's word for us and pray for our time of study today. And this is what the word of God says. Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 23. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, 
choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Let's pray for our time in God's word this morning. Father God, we do come to you on this unique and unusual Lord's Day. A day when we are used to coming together and to gathering together as brothers and sisters in the faith. A day when we're used to greeting one another and, and sharing time in Sunday school classes and, and fellowshipping with one another and, and worshiping God together. We, we have a very unique and unusual day. And yet, we still have the opportunity to come to your word. We still have the opportunity to remember the words that we just sang. That until you return, until Christ calls us home, we stand in the power of Christ. We stand in the power of your word. So help us, Lord, to trust your word today. Help us to learn from your word today. Help us to learn what it means, Lord, to live by, to walk by faith and not by fear. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at Hebrews 11, we are very much reminded of the sovereignty of God and of the sovereign plan of God and of the the providence of God. That God surely is the one who holds the whole world in his hands. Now, this is an area that is greatly confusing for many in the world today. We think about even the times we are in today, this global crisis, this coronavirus, COVID-19 that has affected every corner of the globe. And there are many who will look at crises like this one and say, well, if God is sovereign and is God in control, if he's truly in control, then why would he allow this to happen? That the question of suffering and the problem of evil is a question that's been with us throughout the history of the church and people seek to answer that question in so many ways and so there are world views that that come around uh, designed to answer this question of if God is truly the creator if God is truly sovereign then how do we explain these things and and the way some people explain them is to say well perhaps God is creator but he's not truly sovereign Perhaps God created, but he's not in control. There's the worldview of deism that essentially says that God created the world and then he just stepped back from it. And there's the worldview of fatalism or determinism that says that God created things and essentially in his creation, he, he wound up the world like a clock and he's predetermined, everything's robotic, it's going to happen, and he's just stepped back and it's just running the course that he predetermined and he presets, but he's not involved in it. And then in more recent years, there's been the worldview that's become more popular of open theism, which basically says that God created and he's involved in the life of his creation, but, but his knowledge is limited. And so open theism would say that, well, well, well God is just as shocked by the spread of the coronavirus as we are. That God is just as taken back by this, this plague as we are. That, that he didn't know, that he doesn't control. He's involved, but he's limited in his knowledge of what is to come. 
But of course, fatalism, determinism, open theism, all these things fall well short of how God's holy word tells us God operates with his creation because what we see in God's word is not only is he a creator, but he is sovereignly involved in the life of his creation. And we see a portrait of that in Hebrews chapter 11. As we walk through and we see case study after case study, we see narrative after narrative, we see picture after picture of how God is involved intimately in the life of his creation. A God who hears the cries of his people and he responds to those cries. A God who is both personal and infinitely powerful. A God who is actively directing his creation to ultimately fulfill his good purposes. A God who uses both his people and those who reject him for his good purposes and his good plan. A God who is truly sovereign and a God whose providence is very clearly seen. And we see this very clearly in the passage that we're looking at today where the writer of Hebrews has now called our attention to the life of Moses. And it's in the life of Moses that we see the sovereign hand of God at work as he rescues the baby Moses from a river and how he uses this baby Moses to grow up in the household of Pharaoh only to then leave that household and to ultimately lead the people of God out of their slavery and towards the land of promise. And all the while we see how God sovereignly is at work in the lives of his people, and in the life of Moses. And the reason I think this is so important for us to look to, especially in seasons like the one we are in today, is because we need to understand that God is truly sovereign as we consider how we're to deal with fear. As we consider how we're to deal with worry and anxiety and grief. All the things that have flooded the hearts and minds of so many of us around the globe today. Here in our community today. We wake up. We turn on the news. We see the reports. We see the updates from the governor, from the president, from the vice president. And each day what do we see? More and more people are sick. More and more people are dying. And we begin to feel more and more anxiety and fear and worry. But God has not abandoned us in this worry, in this anxiety, in this fear. He is continuing to guide us through his word. And what we see in his word is that we can respond to this fear, this worry, this anxiety by better understanding what it means that God is sovereign and God is in control. What it means to walk by faith and not by sight. What it means to live by faith and not by fear. And I want us to consider those things as we walk through this text today together. And we've put on line there, and hopefully you've already seen the order of worship. We've included our sermon outline and our sermon notes. And, and there's four things that I'm going to talk about today, uh, ways that we overcome our fear through faith. The first one is this, that we overcome the fear of man through faith in God's protection. And so many times we are overwhelmed with fear related to the fear of man, the fear of others. We overcome this fear of man through faith in God's protection. And we see this very clearly in verse 23, where again we read, By faith Moses, when he was born, he was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, the writer here, in speaking of the faith of Moses, actually starts with the faith of Moses' parents. 
Now, you know from the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 1, uh, we read that, that Pharaoh is looking over Egypt and he is seeing how the Hebrews, the Israelites, how they are growing so large in number. And the Pharaoh is fearful, he's afraid that these people, the Hebrews, are, are greater than the number of the Egyptians and that sooner or later they're just going to take over the Egyptians. And so out of that fear, this Pharaoh, who's a wicked ruler, a wicked king, not a God-fearer at all, he issues an edict. And this edict is that whenever a child is born to the Hebrew people, he instructs the midwives, if that child is a boy, to kill that child. We see in the book of Exodus, and we see as we study these ancient religions, chances are this was even offered as a child's sacrifice to one of the many pagan gods that the Egyptians worshipped. But what we find in Exodus chapter 1 and chapter 2 is that there were some who refused to follow the edict of this wicked king, this wicked pharaoh. We see specifically in chapter 2 of Exodus that Moses' parents, <coughs> they disobey the pharaoh's orders. That they don't let their child be uh, sacrificed to a pagan god. They don't let their child be killed at the order of the pharaoh. No, they put their child in hiding as long as they can. The scripture says for three months. And what does the text tell us both in Exodus 2 and here in Hebrews 11? We read that they saw that the child was beautiful. Now, we read that and perhaps you sit back and think, well, doesn't everybody think their child's beautiful? I mean, again, there's only four of us here this morning. Uh, three of us have children, and between Pastor Matt, Pastor Nick, and myself, uh, we have 12 children. And as I've interacted with them when their children were born, uh, and as I've interacted with many others when their children were born, I've yet to have someone say, yeah, we're so excited. We, we have a new baby boy, baby girl, and yet they're really ugly. <laughs> and nobody says, come look at my new ugly baby. No, what does everyone say when a child is born? Oh, how beautiful. How beautiful. They look just like their mother, just like their father. How, how beautiful. What, what do grandparents do when they pull out those pictures of their grandchildren? Isn't this the most beautiful child you've ever seen? And so we read Hebrews 11, and, and we read this with that, that sentiment attached. We read this thinking that Moses' parents were just doing what we do. They were looking at Moses thinking, oh, isn't this child beautiful? And yet I think there's more to it than just the sentiment of a mother and father here when we look at the language that's being used. Now in Exodus chapter 2, verse 2, the word used here for beautiful, that they use the word in Exodus 2 of fine, that they say, isn't this word fine? Now that same Hebrew word is the word that's translated in Genesis 1 to mean good. The exact same word that Moses' parents used to describe baby Moses is the word that God uses to describe his creation. When he looks on his creation and he creates and he says, this is good. What is he saying? This is right. This is how God intended. So what does that mean when we consider Moses' parents? Well, I think what it means is this, that they are looking at this child and they're saying more than, look at my beautiful child. They're saying, look at what God has created. Look at this child that, that bears the image of God. Look at this image bearer who, like every image bearer, deserves to live. Consider the fear that must have overcome Moses' parents when they 
saw that child was a boy. The Pharaoh's edict was not just to sacrifice every child. It was specifically to sacrifice to kill the male children. You consider what it was for Moses' parents at that moment when Moses was born. At that moment when the midwife declared, it's a boy. Imagine the fear that overwhelmed them. That the likelihood that they had experienced in their Hebrew community, other parents who perhaps tried to hide their male children, and yet the Pharaoh's guards came marching in and snatched that baby out of their arms and took that baby to be a child sacrifice. Imagine the fear that overwhelmed them. And yet, what do we see in this passage? We see that they did not respond in fear. They responded in faith. Because they were trusting in the protection of God. It's a good reminder to us, friends, that that we too need to trust in the protection of God. When living under the threat of man, when living under the fear of man, the fear of others, we need to remember our call to trust in God. We need to remember the scripture tells us not to fear man, but to fear God. Why? Because God is the one who is sovereign. God's the one who's in control. God's the one that holds our life and our death in his hands. God is the one who numbers our very days. So we do not need to fear man. We do not need to fear the things of man. Why? Because God is sovereign. We are to fear, we are to fear God. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 28, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So we're called not to fear man, but but to fear God, to have a holy reverence for God, to, to trust God. God is the one who is sovereign. God is the one who is in control. Second, we see in this passage that we overcome the fear of suffering through faith in God's presence. We overcome the fear of suffering through faith in God's presence. So the writer of Hebrews now moves uh, from the parents of Moses to Moses himself. We know that Moses was placed in a basket in the river by his parents. And then in God's providence, he took the baby Moses there into Pharaoh's household. And he's raised in Pharaoh's household. And God protects Moses and he raises him in this environment. But it becomes very evident to Moses at some point as he is growing up that that he is not an Egyptian, that he's one of the Hebrews. And so the scripture tells us as he grows up, as he gets older, there's a day that comes when he goes to check in on the Hebrew people, to go see the Hebrew people. We don't know much about what he was desiring to do rather than he was just going to observe, going to see, going to visit. And as he goes, he witnesses One of the Hebrews being mistreated by an Egyptian, being attacked by an Egyptian. And Moses has to make a decision. Will he stand in the place of his Hebrew brother and defend him? Or will he stand in the place of the household of Pharaoh and watch his Hebrew brother mistreated? And so we see that Moses stands in the place of his Hebrew brother. He defends him. Not only that, he slays this Egyptian. And so that is what the writer of Hebrews is speaking of here in verse 24, where he says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. What was the reward? 
It was the reward that we consistently have seen in Hebrews 11. It was looking towards a new heaven and a new earth. It was looking towards his eternal place in God's kingdom. He was trusting in those things more than trusting in the fleeting pleasures of sin and being considered part of the household of Pharaoh. And so Moses makes a decision here. He makes a decision that rather than to watch God's people be mistreated, he would stand in the place of God's people that he himself would be mistreated. He turns away from his adopted family and he turns towards his biological family and he chooses to identify himself with the people of God rather than the people of the Pharaoh's household. And why was Moses willing to do this? Because Moses at this point is understanding his Hebrew heritage. He is understanding what it means to be a part of the people of God. And he considered, the scripture tells us, the reproach of Christ of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. Now what exactly does that mean? We read that passage and we think, well how... How was Moses able to consider the reproach of Christ? How how was he able to consider what Jesus would experience, what Jesus would endure? How, How was he able to look forward through salvation history and to look to the suffering that Jesus would endure and how Jesus would go outside of the camp and he would be crucified and he would die in the place of our sin? How could Moses possibly see that? Well... I don't think that what the scripture is saying here is that Moses saw all of that. But Moses understood that a Messiah was coming. And Moses was looking towards that Messiah. And in fact, what we see in biblical history is that here, Moses is a picture of that Messiah, pointing towards that Messiah. That Moses was the one that God raised up to be the deliverer of God's people from their slavery to their salvation. That he is a picture of Jesus who was coming. And in God's sovereignty and God's providence through the work of the Spirit, he has put on the heart of Moses to consider suffering, to consider what it is that will one day be endured by the Messiah to consider what it was to be mistreated and to endure those things because his hope and his trust was in the greater reward because he wanted to be a part of the people of God because he desired to be in the presence of God. In fact, you think about what it is that Moses goes before Pharaoh and asks. And he says to Pharaoh, He makes that request for Pharaoh to let the people go. Why? So that they might go worship God in the wilderness. Moses desired to worship the God of the Hebrews, the one true God. Moses desired to lead the Hebrew people out to the wilderness to worship the one true God. Why? Because Moses desired the very presence of God. And it was that desire then that helped him to deal with and overcome that fear of suffering. And again, I think this is very timely for us to consider because many of us are at a moment, at a place, at a time when we are fearing suffering, where we are fearing what might come in our lives. We're watching the news around the world. We're seeing how this virus has spread. We're seeing how this virus kills. We're seeing people around us suffer. And we are aware that greater suffering may come very soon to our own communities. And many of us are scared. We are fearful. 
Even before there was a coronavirus, many of us have walked through suffering with people we love, with people in our church family, people in our own families. We've watched people we love suffer from diseases, suffer from great losses, suffer from devastating blows that have come in their life. And we live with the reality that that suffering may be very real in our lives very soon or perhaps is real in our lives today. And it becomes... Very easy to get overwhelmed by this suffering. And yet what we see we're called to do here is to remember God's providence, God's plan, God's presence. That in the midst of our suffering, God has not abandoned us. It's timely for today when we can't even gather together as the people of God. Where many of us are living in isolation from one another. We're not spending time even visiting one another. It's a great reminder for us that in the midst of these times... God has not distanced himself from us. He is still our very present help in our day of trouble. We saw that picture throughout the scripture that reminds us Christ is with us. Think, for example, of Matthew's gospel. How does Matthew's gospel begin? Chapter 1, verse 23. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So what's the proclamation in Matthew 1? That that Jesus, Emmanuel, means God with us. And then how does Matthew's gospel end? Matthew 28, verse 20, and behold, Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the age. We we see the bookends of Matthew's gospel is the promise of the presence of Jesus Christ and the lives of those who will follow him. But it's not just in Matthew's gospel. We see that very promise in the pages of Scripture. What do we see in Genesis chapter 1 and 2? We see God creating all things. And in that creation, he creates a sanctuary, a habitat, a place. For what? For him to dwell with his creation, with Adam and Eve. His presence is there. He walks in the garden with them. But what happens? They sin against God. They disobey God. And we see the fall and we see the devastating effects of sin. But what do we see there? We see God offers a redemptive plan for a Messiah who will come and will crush the head of the enemy. We see the promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That while all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death, while we all deserve what Adam and Eve received in the garden, they were distanced from God, they were removed from the presence of God, while we rightly deserve that, in fact we deserve to be under the wrath of God for our sins, We see that God demonstrates his grace toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Romans 5, 8, Christ Jesus died for us. And so in the beginning of scripture, we see this picture of God dwelling with his people. He's with them. Their sin corrupts that. And then there is separation. It points us towards the gospel where what does Jesus do? He dies on the cross in our place so that we might be with God again. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. That by repenting and turning from our sin and trusting in Jesus Christ, Christ is our mediator, Christ is our advocate, and now we can come back into the presence of God through Jesus Christ. So that the scripture begins with a picture of God dwelling with his people, and how does the scripture end? The book of Revelation, Revelation 21, where we have this picture of what? Revelation 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with Man, he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor any more for the former things have passed away. What is the picture here? 
The picture is that as God's people, we are to trust in the sovereign plan of God and the sovereign hand of God. We are to seek the very presence of God. The presence that Adam and Eve experienced before the fall and the presence that we will experience in a new heaven and a new earth. And how do we come into that presence? Not by living in fear of suffering. No, we come into that presence through trusting in the one who suffered on our behalf. We come into that presence through placing our faith and our hope and our trust in our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how we ultimately overcome the fear of suffering. Point three, we see that we overcome the fear of the unknown through faith in God's providence. Through faith in God's providence. Here in verse 27 we read, By faith he, Moses, left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Here the writer is pointing us towards when Moses leaves Egypt. Now we know in the text Moses actually left Egypt twice. The first time he leaves Egypt is after he slays the Egyptian who is mistreating the Hebrew and even his own people turn on him. And the scripture says there that he was afraid of Pharaoh, so he left Egypt. But then God works in the life of Moses, God prepares him, and then God brings him back to Egypt to do what? To lead his people out of their slavery. And while it's not abundantly clear, I think that perhaps the writer of Hebrews here is referring to that second leaving of Egypt. Why? Because it says that he wasn't afraid of the anger of the king. We read very clearly in Exodus chapter 2 that when Moses left that first time, that he was afraid of the anger of the king. And so I think here he's referring to when Moses goes back and when Moses leads the people. And think about what happens when Moses does that. He goes and God brings all of these plagues on the Egyptians, ten of them. And through these plagues we see the anger of Pharaoh grows. But we see God powerfully at work to release his people from their slavery in Egypt to lead them to the promised land. And so God brings that tenth plague, that final plague Pharaoh relents, he lets the people go, and then we see the people of God, the Hebrews, they they plunder the Egyptians, they they walk out of Egypt with all this wealth from Egypt, and they're on their way to the promised land, and there's, there's excitement, and there's joy, and there's celebration, but then there's that moment that comes as they're on their journey towards the land of promise, where they come to the shores of the Red Sea, and they set up camp there. And then we read in Exodus 14 that that day comes when the people of God, the Hebrews, they look over behind them and they can see at the distance Pharaoh and his army are approaching them now. And now they're not celebrating. Now there's not joy and excitement. Now they are overcome by fear and they go to Moses with their fear. Exodus 14 verse 11, they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. So the people here have absolutely no faith in God. That they're completely in fear. They're pointing their finger towards Moses. They're pointing their finger towards God. And yet what does Moses do? He is the picture here. Of one who has faith. He's the picture here of one who's not fearful. The text goes on in Exodus 14 to tell us. And Moses said to his people. Fear not. Stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord. Which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today. You shall never see again. 
The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Be still, God says, and know that I am the Lord. When we find ourselves in these moments of fear, because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, and we don't know what's going to happen the next day or the next, when we are surrounded by great uncertainty, when we are overwhelmed by the unknown, we are called to put our faith and our trust in the God who knows all and the God who knows and holds our tomorrows to be still and know that he is God. And remember what happens there on the shores of the Red Sea? God works miraculously. To deliver the Hebrew people. He parts the very sea. He calls them to walk through it. On dry land. And they do. And then as Pharaoh and his army pursue them. He swallows them up in the sea. I heard. Pastor theologian. Writer Tim Keller speak of this once. And he made a great point. That the Israelites that crossed over. That they all crossed over. But it doesn't mean they all crossed over. With the same disposition. And he says that you imagine some of them as they crossed over, they were saying, praise God, praise the Lord. God is our deliverer. God is our salvation. God is going to destroy our enemies. And at the same time, there were probably Hebrews walking through that dry land and they're looking up at those waves and the whole time they're saying, we're going to die, we're going to die, we're going to die, we're going to die. And yet, who did God save? He saved all of the Israelites who walked through the Red Sea. And why did God do that? It wasn't because of the strength of their faith. It was because of the object of their faith. It wasn't because they had such great overwhelming faith. It's because they had such a great and overwhelming God. And friends, we are called to understand in this moment in our lives. The question is not how strong your faith is. The question is what is your faith in? And if your faith is in a great God, then, friend, you have a great faith. If your faith is in a great deliverer, Jesus Christ, then, friend, you have a great faith. The question is not how strong is that faith. The question is, what is the substance of that faith? And we see a picture here of that in the experience of the Hebrew people as they walked out of Egypt, as they followed Moses. We see a picture of that in the life of Moses. Who? What did God call him to do? He called him to step into the unknown. Moses didn't know what was going to happen. But he trusted God and he followed God. And that overcame the fear of the unknown. And then last point four, we see that we overcome the fear of death through faith in God's promise. We overcome the fear of death through faith in God's promise. Here the writer, I believe, takes us back a bit in verse 28. He says, By faith Moses, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. And this is a reference, of course, to that tenth and final plague where God instructed his people uh, to put the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorpost, on the lintel, uh, outside of their home, where God sent the destroyer, the angel of death, who would come and would take the life of the firstborn. So again, th think of the bookends we see there in that experience with the Egyptians. We begin in the book of Exodus, where a wicked king, a ruler Pharaoh, who believed himself to be God, telling the people, I'm going to destroy the life of your firstborn sons. And what does the true sovereign creator God do? He says to the Egyptians, I will take the life of your firstborn. 
unless the door of your household is covered with the blood of the Passover lamb. And so what does Moses lead the people to do? He leads them to put the blood on the doorposts. Uh, again, friends, there's such a picture here that points us towards the, the object of our faith more than the strength of our faith. You can imagine as the Hebrew people put the, the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel, there, there were some, again, just like they would then later walk through the Red Sea, there were likely some who put that blood on the doorpost and said, God is our deliverer, God is our rescuer, God is our salvation, God is our shield, God will cover our home, God will keep our firstborn from death. And there were likely others that as they put the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel, they probably clutched their firstborn so tightly that night out of fear that something might happen to them. And yet, who did God save? Everyone who had the blood on their doorpost, the destroyer, the angel of death passed over. Friends, do you see the picture there of the gospel? that we are covered by the blood of the true Passover lamb. The blood of Jesus Christ is what covers us. And whether you have a struggling faith or you have a secure faith, whether your faith is brand new baby Christian, just heard and responded to the gospel three hours ago, or your faith is mature and growing and rooted, and you've been walking with the Lord for decades, we are covered by the blood of the Lamb. We are secure through our faith in Jesus Christ. Not because we are perfect, and not because our faith is perfect, but because our Christ is perfect. And this is how ultimately we overcome fear, especially fear of death. We trust in the promises. We trust in the word of God. Again, this is a timely reminder for us. Because there are many of us today who fear death. There are many in our world today who fear death. Why? Because we are facing death. Because we are aware there is a virus that does not discriminate, that does not care if you are 20 or if you are 90, that does not care if you are white or black, that does not care if you're American or Chinese. There is a pandemic in our world that is killing people. But if you are a follower of Jesus today, you do not need to fear death. And that's not because we have some secret vaccination that's not because we've stockpiled resources. That's not because we can just isolate ourselves and cocoon ourselves and put ourselves in a bubble where this can never affect us. No, ultimately, as followers of Christ, the reason we need not fear death is because we have the promise of God. We don't need to fear death because Jesus promises us eternal life. We don't need to fear death because Jesus says he will never leave us or forsake us. We don't need to fear death because this world ultimately is not our home and this virus or anything else that might kill us does not have the final word. We need not fear death because Jesus has the final word. And one day the scripture says, Jesus says, he will make all things new. And so the call for you and I today is to put our trust and to put our hope in Jesus. Friends, I do not know what tomorrow holds. But I know the one who holds my tomorrow and your tomorrow. And he calls on us today to trust in him and to place our hope in him. 
God does not offer us a guarantee that we won't catch this virus, that we won't have coronavirus, or that we won't have cancer. He doesn't promise us that our life will be safe and secure. But what he does promise us is this. Romans 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Friend, have you called on the Lord? Is your trust in him? And if not, I pray that it would be today. And so we want to take a moment right now just to pray and to give you opportunity to pray. So if you would, pray with me. Father God, we pray in this moment that our trust, that our hope, that our faith would be in you. Lord, I pray for so many who are overwhelmed today with fear, fear of man, fear of the unknown, fear of suffering, fear of death. Lord, help us to be a people who live by faith, not, not by a blind faith, but a biblical faith, a faith that, faith that trusts in you, a faith that seeks you. Father, we pray that you would bless us as we seek you. We do pl- pray, Lord, that you would put an end to this pandemic, that you would bring safety to people. But Lord, more than that, we pray, God, that in this moment of need, that people would cry out to you, and place their hope in Jesus. And we ask this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.